So Matthew chapter 8, I want to say a few words this morning about a soldier's faith. Soldier's faith in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5. This is a familiar story about a centurion whose servant was sick and he came to Jesus in the form of sending uh, some messengers and asked that Jesus would heal his servant. So in verse 5, When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Now, if you compare this with another gospel account, you find out that it was the centurion who came to Jesus, but by way of messenger. So these messengers came in the centurion's name, had this conversation with Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking with the centurion. And it looks like at the end of the conversation, finally, as Jesus got closer to his home, uh, and then stopped, that the centurion evidently came out. But you should know that, that you should compare this with also with Luke chapter 7. But he said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go. And he goeth, and to another come, and, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. Maybe referring to that sick servant. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, or truly, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus was amazed by this man's faith. He marveled. There's another time when the Bible says that Jesus marveled. He was amazed at the unbelief of His own people, the Jews. The chosen people of God. You see, although they were chosen and they were covenant people, they were unbelieving and therefore not saved. And Jesus marveled. He was astonished that they could be unbelieving with all the miracles and the signs that He gave them. They did not believe that He was the Messiah, their, their King. But here Jesus marvels at the faith of a Gentile. Gentiles were called dogs by the Jews. They were hated and despised by the Jews. And Jesus sees this man's faith, and in comparison with His own people, Jesus... He marveled. And he says, verse 11, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, referring to the millennial reign of Christ. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. You know what's the difference between people who go to heaven and people who go to hell? One condition. Belief. The people who believe, they are brought into the kingdom. 
the people who do not believe, the children of the kingdom, God's chosen nation, the covenant people, but unbelieving. He says that they, those unbelievers, not all of them, but the unbelievers, cast out into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, Jesus was pretty clear, wasn't he? He was a plain preacher. You didn't have any trouble understanding what Jesus said. The trouble was, you understood real clear what he was saying. Unless he spoke in parables. When people rejected the light that Jesus was offering, he started to speak in parables so that they couldn't understand what he was teaching. And then later on he would tell his disciples what he was teaching. You know what that tells you? When you reject the light of God, when you reject what God gives to you clearly, light rejected becomes darkness. And you won't be able to get anything else. Don't play around with the Word of God. Don't play around with Jesus this morning. Don't play around with this matter of belief and unbelief. And you think you can go on in your skepticism. God has no respect for that. God has no respect for a skeptic. You think you can play around with that? You think, well, hey, when God proves to me, when when God makes it clear to me, hey, then maybe I'll believe. Listen, God says, He that cometh to God must believe that He must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Jesus said to skeptics, John chapter 7, verse 17, He said, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Jesus said to a skeptic, All right, if you want to know whether or not this doctrine is from God or from man, you have to do my will. What's His will? When you hear the truth, to respond in repentance and belief. To say, okay, well, God, if you're up there and if this is real, I pray that you would tell me and show me. And show me that the gospel is real. And God says, okay, what I want you to do is repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ into your heart as the only payment for sins. Do my will and you'll know of the doctrine. You see, there's no playing around with God. It's belief or unbelief. It is heaven or it is hell. And hell is described by Jesus, and I guess he ought to know since he created everything. It is a place of outer darkness, separation from God, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know how terrible it is to punish a man by confining him into a small, dark place? Do you know that evil armies around the world, different than our own, we have a Geneva Convention and we are just in our treatment of our enemies because of, why? The Bible. In other places, the Japanese, for example, would confine men into small boxes in their prison camps. Uh, The Roman armies 
uh, with the Waldenses in France. Waldenses were Bible-believing Christians. When they arrested a preacher or a Christian for going around and preaching the gospel and evangelizing, when they arrested them, they, I saw examples of prisons that they would put these guys into in these little prison cells, little stone prison cells that they would put these men into. Very small confinements where the door would be shut. It's entirely dark in there, except for maybe a window coming in for some of the hours of the day. And then there was a, maybe a place to sit there, a, a bed, but it's not even as big as this front row of four, four chairs there. And then on one end of it uh, being a toilet. You know, the old-fashioned old fashioned latrine. And so literally, it's either your feet or your head is pillowed by this toilet. And they do that because this tortures men. You can find somebody like that. You can make a man go crazy when you can find him in darkness like that. Most men can't handle it. Christians are a little bit better at it. But even Christians will lose their minds being confined in outer darkness. And that's what he said. You'll be separated from God, confined in darkness, where there will be weeping. Weeping, not a party. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. But not for this soldier. This centurion was a man of great faith. His faith was so great that Jesus marveled at it. And evidently, placing his faith in Jesus, being impressed with this Jewish rabbi and all of his miracles, uh, placing his faith in him, he would be included among the believers. And then I would say also his servant that was healed. And then also I would say those servants that he sent to go and speak to Jesus to say, would you come and would you heal this centurion's uh, servant? And they would say of the centurion, uh, he's worthy of this because he's built a synagogue for us and because he supports the Jews, which was the thing that was completely out of character for a Roman soldier. A centurion was a man with about a hundred men under him. And he was like a sergeant major today, not an officer. Not a non-commissioned officer. So he wasn't an an enlisted soldier uh, in either one. He was like in the middle. Just like a sergeant major is today. And he had great influence. Think of all these, these hundred men underneath him. And what they think about the Jews. The Roman occupation uh, of the Jews was, uh, was oppressive. They ridiculed the Jews. They would uh, punish them and uh, unfairly. They would harass them. Uh, The Jews hated the Romans. And and despite all of that, this this Roman centurion sees the the ministry of Jesus in his life and is impressed with him and believes. And then God puts him into such a situation where there was no other choice. But he had to go to this miracle-working man and say, I need you to, to come and to help. No matter what his soldiers thought. You know... I've experienced this in the military, at least in the U.S. Army. There's not a whole lot of faith in the military. If you're going to go into the military, you need to know this. You're going to have to learn how to stand alone with the Lord because you won't have somebody else. You won't have this. You won't. You, You can go to the chapel and you'll have a small gathering. And probably most of those guys won't even be born again. You can look for churches and ministries off base and, and, and may God raise up good, soul-winning church ministries that are just off of the base for military bases that send vans and buses on to get soldiers and take them to a real soul-winning work 
because they need it. But if you're going to go into the military, you're going to be issued one of these. And in basic training, I spent every moment that I had that was free, and that wasn't very many, but I'd get up early to do it. And I read through my New Testament and the Psalms and Proverbs. I don't know how many times. I didn't count. But I was always reading, and I'd even get down on my knees and pray beside my bunk. And they called me the Holy Joe and Jesus Freak and stuff like that. You know why? Because I was the only soldier in my whole platoon and boot camp that would even acknowledge that they believed in Jesus. There was one other, but he kept it very quiet. He was right beside me. You're going to have to learn to stand for Jesus. There's not, a much, there's not that much faith in our nation's military. But praise God, a lot of these soldiers, men and women, came up in churches like this. So they've got a background. A lot of them have the truth because of the country that we live in. This soldier had faith, but he had to go against the norm. He had to overcome some obstacles. He had to stand by himself. But he was rewarded for his faith, was he not? Jesus marveled and he said, men like this, Gentiles that believe, they're going to come into the kingdom, but the children of the kingdom are going to be cast out. The faith of a soldier. You know, faith is more than just believing. One author said, it is trusting our very lives, our eternal destiny to what we believe. It's more than just believing. For example, we can believe that a parachute will open and will carry our bodies safely to the ground But are we willing to put on the parachute and to step to the door and to jump out? Which I can tell you by experience, it's more like your body goes limp and you just kind of are sucked out because your legs don't want to do it. But you know what? Believing that that parachute will open is one thing. But actually jumping out and trusting it to carry you safely to the ground is another thing. Trusting Jesus is similar. Have you actually taken the step of placing your faith, your trust in Him to save your soul, to forgive you of your sins, to pay the penalty entirely, and to grant you eternal life? You say, I believe in Jesus. How do you believe in Jesus? You might have a head knowledge, but have you actually trusted Him? Faith says, green light, go. (laughs) Faith says, jump. Take a step of faith. Faith in God says we're willing to trust Him with our lives. You know, Thomas, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, doubted the the veracity or the truth of Jesus' resurrection. So Jesus gave him proof. He did. He said, look, touch my side, touch the prints of my hands. He gave him proof that he had been crucified and was back from the dead. And then he spoke these words to Thomas. Thomas, because thou hast seen me and hast believed. You you have believed. Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And listen, truly blessed. Because you get to come into the kingdom. And the unbelieving are cast out. And that means that there are those, Jesus said, that will believe and they won't be able to see. They'll take it on faith. They'll take God at His words. Millions have taken God at His word and been saved. 
Jesus said in verse 11 that many, many shall come from the east and west, from all over the world, to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's literal. Many will. We who believe... We are willing to follow the commands of the New Testament as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And that means we believe that God's will is best for us. So young people who have parents who are trying the best that they can to sincerely follow God's will for their lives, those children might not understand everything that mom and dad does or doesn't do. They might not understand mom and dad's schedule. But as Christians, we believe that God's will is best for us, not just to be saved, but for the rest of our lives. Many Christians around the world even endure ridicule, like I'm sure that this centurion did from his soldiers behind his back. And and many Christians endure lawsuits. Canadian pastor was was jailed, you know, for uh, not closing down his church for long enough during the stay-at-home orders, and and finally won a lawsuit, and they had to admit that they were wrong in, in trying to restrict his faith and the practice of his faith. That's been happening in several different places around the country, but many under lawsuits, rejection uh, because of their faith, being rejected by family members. Why do they do this? Because of what they believe. Because it's real. Faith is the substance. It's the very evidence of Christianity. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. We will endure all kinds of things because we believe this is best for us eternally. You know, there are times when our faith may fail. There's times when our faith may fail. At this time in the service, we would normally be closing. We can't do that anymore because we've got the choir. We have the video. And we have to give the Lord His due and give His word its due this morning. So if you'll allow me to preach these last couple of points, make my conclusion, and then... Review the message in your own heart before the Lord. I'll have us out of here shortly, okay? I'll have us out of here shortly. But don't miss this. Don't miss it. Sometimes our faith fails. Okay? Talking about a soldier's faith today, how it's similar to our faith. Sometimes our faith fails. You know, in this New Testament here, the very same one, I mean, not the exact same one, but the same one, The same version. This is the New King James. The same notes. This is what I was reading. I had a camouflaged one, but... In here, you have things, what to do when you're feeling afraid. Um, What to do when you're depressed. And it has one in here called, what to do when your faith fails. It has a section on faith. And on the section in faith... It has Matthew 8 as the example, this centurion. That's not why I'm preaching this. I just realized that as I was studying, that this is an example of faith. That's the subject here. And uh, in here also, you find what to do when faith fails. Because, listen, for a Christian, we experience this. This is not unusual. You say, what do you mean? I don't mean becoming apostate and denying the, the existence of God. I'm talking about when our faith fails. 
fails and we stagger and we stumble in our Christian life. And really, it is unbelief when we fail to act on the commands, the precepts, and the promises of God's Word. That is a failure of faith. So, there are times when this happens. Psalm 42, verse 5, David says, O my soul! He says, Why are you cast down within me? In other words, why am I feeling low? Why am I feeling... Uh, uneasy or restless. He said to his soul, why are you disquieted in me? That means to be disturbed, to be harassed even by the circumstances and the people around you, to be troubled in your life, to be made anxious into worry. And when you do that, when you cross that line into anxiety and worry, that is an absence of faith. That is a failure of faith. And he's saying to his soul, why are you disquieted? What happened to make you anxious and to worry? There are times when we worry. There are times when our faith fails. When certain events that we see in our life and we wonder, how will this turn out? We worry about the outcome of certain events. Like, we worry how our children are going to turn out. Do we not? My dad was given six to eight weeks to live. I worried about him. On November the 1st, it was his two-year anniversary of when he rang the bell, the cancer-free bell, and was able to leave the hospital. It's been two years. The doctor said six to eight weeks, and dad's still here. All that worry for nothing. He was at death's door again recently. They found that he had seven blockages in his heart. He had the surgery, a quadruple, and Dad's still here with us today. You see, the doctors do the best that they can to try to make a diagnosis and let you know what you're up against. But we're better off to trust God and to take one day at a time and to say, it has pleased God to give me two more years with my dad. And when it pleases God, He will take my dad home. Not to worry about, am I going to get sick? Am I going to get cancer too? Because I'm his son? We worry about the stability of the economy. Do we have enough to retire? You know what? I learned that this inflation and this is nothing new for us. In 1769, ducks and chickens were sold for pennies each. But in just two years a duck or a chicken was selling for $250 each. We have seen inflation in our country, and what we're seeing is nothing like what we've seen in the past. And we're still here. We're still going on, but we worry about these things. The family and spouses of soldiers, they worry whenever troops are deployed. Will my son or will my daughter be all right? Will they be hurt? Will they come home? We worry about the outcomes of things that are uncertain to us. Sometimes we're anxious because we want to avoid any trouble in our lives. We're anxious. We, we think, will thieves break into our homes? Will some dopehead break into my home to get something and sell it so that they can get more drugs? We, we're anxious because we want to avoid trouble. And so we put up security and we should, you know, we should do what we can. We should have a, a gun in the nightstand or in a safe place if you have children in the home. But we are anxious to avoid any trouble. If you've survived a bad marriage, if you've been cheated on and rejected, you've been wounded deeply, that makes you hesitant to marry again. 
You want to avoid any trouble in the future. Faith says, do what God wants you to do. And trust Him with the outcome. Faith says, do what God would have you to do. And let Him take care of it. And then accept what He allows into your life. You see, when there's a strong faith, there's no room for this worry. The kind of worry that that disquiets you, that makes you restless, disturbed. This kind of worry that nags at you. This kind of anxiety about wanting to avoid trouble. When you do that, you're saying, basically, God's not able to take care of me. I feel like I have to do it myself. That's a lack of faith. You'd like to start a new business or embark on some new adventure, but... A little voice keeps saying, what if? What if the economy takes a turn here? What if this doesn't work out there? Faith says, if God wants me to do it, I better do it. If God's in it. This country was founded by people of courage, faith, prayer, and a vision for what we could have here. A land of freedom. These founding Forefathers, they, they scratched out an existence for us, along with the pilgrims and the families that boarded those ships uh, to come here. They laid their lives on the line. They were willing to sacrifice even their children and their very lives for this vision. This is the great courage that our country was founded on. God sent two great awakenings also to our country to encourage us and also to further the gospel. But did you know this? The kind of courage that it took to found this nation was really exhibited with the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Each man, although they weren't all born-again believers, some of them being agnostic, but at least acknowledging a deity or the Almighty. Each man, though, bowed his head in prayer before he signed that document. 56 of them, one after another, praying, signing. They relied on the blessings of their Creator. It was evident in that document. They knew that freedom wasn't free. They knew that it could cost them something by signing that declaration to secure their to declare their independence from England and from the British Crown. Did you know that some of those men were hanged for signing that document? Some of them were stripped of their possessions. Their lives uprooted. They're just arrested, taken away from their families. Their possessions taken away. And some of them jailed. But they were willing to put their lives on the line and to trust God with the outcome. God was pleased to grant us our independence. What are you doing with it? What are you and I doing with it? We don't have to sacrifice anything. The only people in our country that really sacrifice are the soldiers, the families of the soldiers when one of them dies, spouses, children, moms and dads, our military, our law enforcement, firemen, they they sacrifice, they do. Even nurses and doctors, you know, during COVID, putting their lives on the line to treat people. There's a sacrifice there. But for the most part, for the most part, we have no sacrifice for us. We'll be called upon to sacrifice very little in our own lives. But our founding forefathers and the soldiers who fought for our independence, 
They sacrificed because they thought that it was a worthy cause. And because of their faith in Almighty God. They didn't worry about their retirement. They didn't have any. They didn't worry about their Social Security. They didn't have any. Look what they did with so little. And we have so much. You say, what's that got to do with faith? Everything. Everything. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 11? You ever read the Hall of Faith? You ever read it? It says, by faith, this guy did this. By faith, this other guy did this. By faith, this woman did that. By faith, these people did this over here. By faith, by faith, by faith. The faith of this soldier is, in essence, like the faith that we have today. And sometimes we are called to go through things in life and our faith fails, but those are the very times when we are tested and we need to repent and confess that we are weak in faith, we have little faith. Repent of that and turn to God and give what little faith that we have and put it into His hands and say, God... I'm going to go through this. I'm going to be strong and courageous. I'm going to be faith-filled. I'm not going to be filled with worry or anxiety, but I'm going to trust you with the outcome. And if you're pleased to take away everything from me, then so be it. So be it. But I'm willing to do this for you. And take me, take my life, and use my life to be a blessing. There, there, there's some sick servant somewhere. There's some sick servant who needs to be healed by Jesus. And I can be involved in leading an entourage to come to Jesus and ask Jesus to heal my servant. I can pray and I can intercede on behalf of somebody. And then I can bring that servant and Jesus together. Listen... I think of this account of the healing of this servant's so the soldier's servant. I think it's a great picture of Jesus' present ministry. Jesus can heal us from a great distance. In this story, Jesus wasn't even in the same location. He just said the word and it and the servant was healed Amen. that very day. Instantaneously. Jesus can heal from a great distance. He's in glory. He's on the right hand of the Father. And where He is today, He can heal. He can save. He can forgive. He can heal us from the paralysis of sin. This palsy was paralysis. It was a very painful disease. He can heal you today from the paralysis of sin. The healing of our sin-sick souls when it happens is instantaneous. The very moment when you cry out to Jesus Christ, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for my sins. You were buried. You rose again the third day. And with a childlike faith, the best way I know how, I want you to be my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Take me to heaven when I die. I don't want to be cast out. That instantaneously, instantaneously, just like that, He will save. And it will be done. And then for those of us who believe, what are you going through right now? What kind of trial are you going through? How is your faith being tested? 
How has your faith failed? Let's bow our heads in just a word of prayer and just quiet before the Lord. I just want to speak to you and speak to your heart. This is between you and the Lord, really. But is there some besetting sin that has just knocked you out of the race? Some weight that's holding you back? It might be a doubt. It might be anxiety. It might be that you're not trusting God with the outcome. It might be that you're not willing to accept the outcome. Maybe there's some carnal sin in your life, some willful sin. And your faith has failed because on that point you're refusing to follow God's will and to take it by faith that God's way is the best way. We're called upon to sacrifice and to deny ourselves. And when we refuse to deny ourselves and when we just give ourselves everything, even though it means sinning against the the known will of God, that's a failure of faith. Faith says that living by God's will is the best way and it's best for us eternally. Is there something in your heart this morning between you and the Lord that you need to get right? Something you need to put under the blood? Something you need to give to Him? You say, you don't understand, i got such a weak faith. I have so little faith. You know, that's true. That's true of all of us. Take that little faith and put it in the right object. Put it in Jesus. Trust in Him. Get back to prayer. Get back to walking before Him daily. And trust Him. Trust Him with the outcome. It will mean sacrifice. It will mean hardship. It might mean loss. But it will mean blessing. And it'll be, it'll be, when you get to the, to the judgment seat of Christ, it'll mean, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this message to our hearts. We thank you this day for all that you've done in our midst. Help us to remember this challenge that we're not distracted by the things of the world and that we actually walk daily in your presence, that we spend time with you, strengthen our faith in the Word of God and in prayer. Strengthening our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. Bless now in this invitation. Help us to make these commitments, Lord. And I know that we are not able in and of ourselves to do these things. That we rely on your Holy Spirit. Help us to do that every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's our song? 451. 451. 451 this morning. If God spoke to your heart, if you're not saved today, I invite you to come forward at this time. Let somebody help you. Take a Bible and we'll lead you to Christ. If you're saved and God spoke to your heart about something and you'd like to have somebody pray with you, come ahead if God so uh, moves you. Oh,
ser.